chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, hope that you'll be following along there. Of course, if you have a bulletin and following along with the notes there, that uh, is good as well. I was thinking that we might ought to dismiss the parents before the lesson starts so they could go start stretching and maybe take a nap if they need to before the kickball game this afternoon. But uh, all the wives apparently are waiting to see what I'm going to say to encourage uh, the husbands to be better husbands after the lesson this morning. So uh, all kinds of comments. I'm trying to thread that preacher needle between the wives and the husbands, not make either one mad or, or anything. Or, uh, but I appreciate your kind words this morning. I also wanted to make one statement and just say I appreciate your patience uh, and grace as well. I told someone after the lesson, after services were over, that, uh, you know, it's always challenging when sometimes when you say things, you're trying to sort of speak in, in general terms, but speak the truth. But, you know, understanding that sometimes we're not able to go, you know, in detail. Somebody says, why didn't you talk about this? Why didn't you, you say that? Well, because it's kind of hard to cover everything in about 30 minutes or so. And so I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, I, I certainly believe that, that God has a plan has a plan for our marriages. He has a plan that we should follow and obey when it comes to our marriages. I also understand fully well that life is complicated at times. It's messy. I'm not suggesting that means we can compromise on the Word of God at all. But whether it be the death of a spouse, whether it be a difficult spouse sometimes who causes a large problem in marriage, whether it be infidelity and issues like that among spouses, uh, there is sometimes a lot to talk about, and it's easy to stand here and say exactly what God says, but sometimes folks still struggle uh, with certain situations in their life or their family's life or whatever it might be. And, and as always, we welcome all questions, any questions that you have. If you'd like to study, uh, ask privately and study privately, we can do that uh, and try to be clear on what the Bible says. And we're just going to spend our time as much as we can in our lessons and in this kind of setting uh, with more of a, a lecture sermon to, to say what we can say, and, and we would always be willing to study more on the side if necessary. But I, I do know uh, that, that marriage is a challenge at times, and people uh, can be difficult and cause issues, and then we have to do our best to understand what God has said, the way to handle these situations as best we can. You see on the screen here to begin this afternoon, uh, it's actually two different pictures there. Uh, the Light Network is a, a group of podcasts run by our brother Robert Hatfield that now preaches uh, at the Henderson Church of Christ in Henderson, Tennessee. And there are a whole host of different shows that are a part of that network. Uh, there's one even that's called Wifey Wednesdays. Uh, Robert's wife uh, does that. Emily puts that out once a week and, and has suggestions and encouragement for wives. Uh, there's some for preachers, strictly for preachers. There's some that study certain books. There's all kinds. There used to be a parenting one. I think that one had taken a step back for a while. But, but a group of podcasts about any number of things. And as we usually remind you, we'll gladly and willingly share all the information uh, and resources that we have that are good resources. We want you to be able to use these things and listen on your own. Uh, sometimes there are up to, you know, six or seven or eight new podcasts a week from the Light Network covering different things and different ideas, and so it's hard to get to all of them, especially if you kind of have other things that you like to listen to in the morning or as you walk or work out or something like that. But I do want to suggest that they're celebrating their 10th year uh, this year, beginning with that, and one of the podcasts that's on there is called Today with Jesus, and that is Robert Hatfield that sort of has started this and run it uh, with our brother Dan Winkler, and if you've ever heard Brother Dan, 
Uh, you usually love the lessons that he gives. And a few years ago, I can't remember what season they're on now, somewhere between six and eight, in season two of this series of podcasts, uh, they did a, a lesson on God's design, God's will for my family. And they talked a little bit about marriage, and they talked a little bit about children, uh, but we're going to focus in on the marriage aspect of that. So number one, I want to give full credit to them uh, for borrowing some of Brother Dan's ideas. And if you've heard him, you'll see that because the words all usually rhyme uh, or things like that. He likes to do that in his sermons. Uh, but number two, I want you to know about this resource. This is a good general podcast about uh, trying to follow Jesus the best we can, learn from him. Um, but certainly, again, there are others on this network of podcasts. The first thing we might say this afternoon is we're going to study Matthew chapter 19 is that Jesus believed in marriage even though he was never married. You know, we know that that's a challenge sometimes for preachers, all preachers, to stand before a congregation. You think about a young man maybe who might have gone to preaching school or graduated from college and he might be single for a time before he gets married. Or he might be newly married, be a newlywed, but not have kids yet. He's doing his best to preach the whole counsel of God, and he may have studied and heard lessons and listened to podcasts and other things on marriage. And somebody might say, well, who are you to tell me about marriage because you've never been married? Or who are you to talk about parenting when you've never had children? Well, sometimes we can learn about something and become a better study in it and try to encourage others even without even having participated in it. You know, somebody says, you've never lost a child. You've never lost a parent, something along those lines. How can you talk to me about grief? But odds are that many of us have, or almost all of us, have lost someone, right? Maybe not as close, maybe not a spouse or a child, but yet we can learn something about grief. This is a little different when we're talking about Jesus, of course, right? He is the Son of God. Uh, he doesn't need to gain knowledge in the same way that I need to gain knowledge or someone else. But he did. He believed in marriage even though he was never married. When you come to Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is going to be questioned a couple of different times. And verses 1 through 12 is really the whole section that talks about this particular uh, topic. And he's going to talk about several things. We often mention Hebrews 10 and verse 25, right? We talk about attendance and we kind of say Hebrews 10 25, that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. And there's truth behind that statement. But then we also try to take a broader look at Hebrews chapter 10 and what the Hebrew writer is saying. Let me encourage you that quite often what we can do is we can say when we're talking about marriage and even marriage and divorce and marriage and divorce and remarriage, Matthew 19 verse 9, and throw that out without any context or trying to understand exactly what Jesus is saying here. I'm not suggesting it changes in the same way that I'm not suggesting that Hebrews 10 is not talking about that we should strive to be together when the doors are open, when our elders encourage us to be together, when the church is meeting, we should be there. I'm not suggesting that, again, that the truth of God changes, but it would help us this afternoon if we spend just a few moments trying to understand this section of Scripture a little bit better. What happens as these Pharisees in verse number 3 of Matthew 19 approach Jesus, they're going to, it tells us actually, depending on the version you have, verse 3, test him, question him, try him. What I'd like for us to do in just a moment, for this first moment, is to try to give you a little background information. This may be new to you, this may not be new to you, but it's going to help lay the foundation just a little bit. When we think about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19, 
we know from history and from the Bible to some degree that there were two schools of thought around this time when it came to marriage and divorce, and those two schools of thought followed two different rabbis. All right, rabbis were important, of course, in the teaching, and there were two men who kind of led this, and they're understood to be the schools of thought on divorce. The first is Shammai. Shammai was a rabbi who led a group of thinkers here at this time, and their belief, you might say, we could kind of group it together to say, was more conservative. They were more conservative in their thinking. And when we talk about the phrase that we sometimes use in our parlance today is binding and loosing, right? We, want to, we don't want to bind where God has not bound, and we should not loose where God has not loosed. And so these two schools of thought are going to kind of try to be both sides of this as well. The school of thought, the school of Shammai, was one that was very, very conservative. The school of Hillel was one that was very, very liberal. You might have obviously seen this coming. Uh, if one is conservative, the other is liberal. If one is binding where we shouldn't bind, the other is loosing where we shouldn't loose. And these two schools of thought sort of ruled the day when it came to lots of things probably. I'll be honest, I didn't do the, the deep research on everything, but in particular with this idea of, the, of divorce and the thinking on divorce. So let's go a little bit further then with this. And we understand that the school of Shammai then and their conservative nature said that you could only divorce someone for adultery only. And the school of Hillel would say that you can divorce for any reason. Now we're going to come back to Matthew chapter 19. I know some of you are writing these things down, but let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24. These two schools of thought really center around the interpretation of Deuteronomy 24 and verse number 1. Deuteronomy 24 and verse number 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Verse 2, when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband, who divorced her, must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. These two schools really centered around the inter interpretation. I said Deuteronomy 24.1, but you see now it really goes through verse number 4. The interpretation of this. Now, if you can make it out there at the bottom, it may be washed out a little. It says underneath the school of Hillel that you could divorce someone, they believe, for any reason. And in the history books, in the records that we have, it was said that, that a man could even divorce his wife for burning the food. All right, now I'm going to let that set for a minute. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand or amen or stand up and march out or anything. Any wives who burn any food or anything like that. But for any reason, including burning the food at mealtime. But then you see on the other side, divorce for adultery only. Conservative, liberal, liberal, binding, loosing. And these are the two schools of thought. You need to understand that to see when they come to Jesus, they're not just simply asking out of the goodness of their hearts, please, Jesus, help us understand they're asking to test him because there's going to be people who believe on one side or the other. 
In fact, you will not see these two names, but we know that at least one of them was taken, was succeeded, I guess, better way to say it, by Gamaliel. And you understand the name Gamaliel. Paul said he learned from Gamaliel. So, you know, these are prominent men who would have been rabbis. In fact, it's possible even, I didn't mention this earlier, but it's even possible that Jesus might have sort of had some time with them. He might have interacted with them. In particular, we think about Luke chapter 2. Remember when Jesus is 12 and he's left behind and he's in the temple studying with some of the older people? It's possible. I mean, we don't know for sure probably, but it's possible that Shammai and Hillel were there and doing some of this teaching, some of this discussion going on. Um, But they were very influential, and then this is where this is coming from. So in Matthew chapter 19, if you need to turn, turn back to that spot, Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, all right, Jesus, then what do you say? What do you say about things? They're trying to test him. They're trying to trap him. And their question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? I think you understand we're not talking about the government here, right? We're not talking about what the state of Tennessee or the United States of America, and they're not asking certainly in their context what the government says about it. They're talking about the law of Moses and understanding that. Jesus answers then in verse number 4 and says to them, One of the greatest statements we can ever consider, right, outside of salvation, and even then it's connected to that, have you not read? Jesus says to them, well, what does the Bible say? Have you not read? Isn't it interesting that when we think about life, we can put divorce and marriage up here in a a big pedestal. We can talk about salvation and put it on a pedestal and other things, but when it comes to life, Anything, even if we, as we have discussed money recently, and somebody says, well, you know what? The Bible doesn't tell me how to pay my bills. In one sense, no, but there is a passage or a principle for everything. There is a passage or a principle for everything. And so they're coming to Jesus with a loaded question, right? Fully loaded question. You can imagine they're thinking, well, is he going to be cultural? And, and what the culture kind of says, is he going to be countercultural? Is he going to kind of go against what culture says? And you see that we're still facing the same thing today. If you ever have someone that maybe comes to you in the workplace, says, hey, what do you think about divorce? What does your church teach about divorce? It's a bit of a loaded question probably. The same thing is happening. Are they going to say something that goes along with the culture? Countercultural, what is it? Will he be liberal? Will he be conservative? And what's Jesus' answer? Just go back to the Bible. Have you not read what the Bible has to say? In the lesson that Brother Winkler gives about this idea from Matthew chapter 19, he discusses a principle that I don't know that it's unique solely to him, but he calls it Jesus' hermeneutic or the Jesus hermeneutic. The word hermeneutic, of course, is just our fancy word, high-dollar word, for interpretation. How did Jesus interpret Scripture then? How was he interpreting things? And let's look at two things from this passage. The first one is he would look at it through the lens of what God did. What God did. So go back to Matthew 19 and verse number 4. He says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and male? female. So what did God do? God made them male and female. We begin to already get a picture about marriage and things when it comes to the way that our world is very, very confused 
about gender and gender identity and those kinds of things. He says, if I'm going to look at life, I'm going to discuss this question of marriage. I'm going to view it through the lens of what God did. And what he did is he created them male and female. You might already guess that the second thing then is what God said. Not just what God did, but what God said. Notice verse 5. Continue reading. And said... He who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What God did in making male and female and what he said and that there should be the joining. We're going to come back to this in just a moment, but let me suggest to you right here that when you go back and look at the Greek language, The word for male is specific to male. The word for female is specific to female. But when you come to verse number 5, for this reason a man, that's that's a different word. It's the word anthropos, right? We get anthropology, the study of mankind and humanity. So he says male and female, but then man, humanity needs to leave father and mother, as we say leave and cleave, leave father and mother, cleave to his wife or cleave to their spouse and become one, as we touched on this morning. So it's a different word there. This is what mankind needs to do. It's not solely the males, but there is male and female, and then there is mankind. Let's do something then with the rest of our time and study two things here that Brother Dan points out in his lesson. We learn two things about marriage from this passage. Number one, the identity of marriage. We learn the identity of marriage from Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. We learn and see here the definition of marriage from God's point of view. I don't have to bring news to you to tell you that if you go to the search engine Google, just for argument's sake, and you type in what is marriage, I don't have to bring you news that you're going to find all kinds of things and all kinds of ideas. Probably even people who want to marry their dog or some kind of animal of theirs or anything and everything in between, right? It happens because you get this idea from the world's definition that marriage is anything and everything under the sun. And as we talked about this morning, it's about what makes me happy. That's what people say. Doesn't God want me to be happy? I would be happy because you know what? This particular woman brings me joy in this way. This particular one brings me joy in this way. Maybe if I could just marry three or four, then I'll have all the joy, and that makes me happy. That's my definition of marriage, someone might say. We understand from Jesus here the definition of marriage from God's point of view, and let's talk first of all about the identity. The first word we're going to look at is two. Now, this is a little bit of overlap from this morning, so just bear with me for just a moment here, but we'll touch on it. Two. We already read a moment ago, male and female. If you're making uh, notes, the word for male here is a form of anir, A-N-E-R. And that is the word that's used in the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, for a person who is opposite to the female. All right, it's very simple. A person who is opposite a female in Scripture is referred to as anir, as a male. The word for female, in particular in the Greek language here, is a verb form of the Greek word that carries the idea of suckling or the idea of one who nurses. So that's the female word that's used here. When we're talking about two, female and male, one who nurses and one then who is the opposite of that. 
These things are essential to have marriage. God designs it for a male and a female. Our world wants us to be more loving. They want us to be more tolerant. They want us to be more inclusive and more accepting of everyone and what they think. But if you go back to what God did here, he made a male and a female, and he made it for marriage. Made them for marriage, to be together. So our first word here, when we understand the definition, is to, T-W-O. Our second word, then, is undo, undo. And again, if you've ever heard Brother Dan, you know his uh, use of this kind of thinking and helping us remember even sometimes the points in a message, undo. As we said a moment ago, the man is to leave. When you see what God did, you also go on in this passage to see what he said. And he said, therefore, for, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. As we made mention a moment ago, this word man is anthropos, mankind. This is what both the male and the female need to do. Leave, undo. There is an undoing of previous loyalties. Leave father and mother. The word there for leave is katalipo, and that is sort of to, to leave down. Just leave it down there, right? Undo those loyalties from before. You know, we went to the marriage retreat last year. Several of us did up in, in Pigeon Forge area, the Gatlinburg area. And in that, when you go to something like that, a lot of times there is, you know, there's encouragement from Scripture about what God says. There's also encouragement from lots of writers, you know, lots of people who have been married and understand certain things to do. You know, the Bible doesn't say buy your wife flowers, but it's usually a good idea, at least every once in a while, to buy your wife flowers. The Bible doesn't say pick up your socks and underwear and put them in the dirty clothes basket like we said this morning. But we learn from relationships that that's a pretty good idea most of the time to help keep peace and, and happiness in your marriage. So we begin to look at other things sometimes to understand exactly how, you know, marriage is work. And when we think about marriage, we do also even see here general principles. You know, what is it that makes a marriage work? You know, one thing that people sometimes have problems with? Undoing. They don't undo those previous loyalties. And when they stick to those previous loyalties, it causes a problem. It's real easy sometimes because you got a young couple maybe and they say, oh yeah, I'm ready to get out on my own. Maybe I've been in college or maybe not, but I, I want to be on my own. I'm going to leave my parents behind. But one of the things that I strive to do in the premarital counseling that I have an opportunity to do when I perform a marriage ceremony or something like that, try to sit down with the young couple, there's this thing called family rules. And all of us have them, right? We all have family rules that we bring to what is to be a new union, right? Somebody says, well, we got married and we got a dog. And in my house, the dog always slept in the bed with my parents, you know? So that dog's going to sleep in bed with us. And the other spouse says, well, wait a minute. We had a dog, but it slept outside always. Well, these two young people are bringing these family rules to marriage. Somebody says, well, mom always cooked, but dad always did the dishes. Somebody else says, well, my mom always cooked and did the dishes, you know? And I said, well, wait a minute. You're supposed to be doing the dishes. All of these play a part into it. And I'm not suggesting that anything is right or wrong. You've got to come to an agreement. But we understand sometimes that we cannot fully undo all that, but we have to try our best to undo those previous loyalties and be committed. We're going to come back to it one more time at the end. I'm having trouble not referencing over and over. But one 
becomes two, becomes one again. And as you become one, you've got to truly undo those previous loyalties. Number three, then there is the glue. As we said, the other way we oftentimes say it is leave and cleave. We have to undo and glue. We have to hold fast. The husband is to leave his parents and hold fast to his wife, literally be glued to his wife. Some translations say to be joined to. Can I suggest that the word glue is important here? What we do in our society today is we sometimes Velcro together, right, so we can just rip it apart. Sometimes we might take just slightly because that's easier to get off if we want to undo the marriage union. That's not the idea. Leave and cleave, undo, and then be glued together. It takes time. As we said this morning in the lesson, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. As we said, it takes a lot of, as the Bible says, putting yourself second, your desires and wants. But as you do that, you'll find yourself connecting. And after you do that, finally here you see something new. Something new comes about. The two shall become one. Yes, there may be this previous idea how the animals worked in the house or, or who cooked supper or did the dishes or who did the laundry or how you celebrated holidays. But something new will come about that may be a mixture of all of those things. A man shall leave, hold fast, and the two become one flesh. And then here's the deal from the passage. So what God puts together, man shall not separate. That's the goal. That's God's definition and his design for marriage. Very quickly, though, we've talked about the identity. Let's touch on then for just a moment the sanctity of marriage. The sanctity of marriage. Again, this is, could be a whole lesson, probably multiple lessons together if we really wanted to break down some of the things that are said here. But there is a dialogue, essentially, about three different dialogue sessions here between Jesus and the Pharisees and then even Jesus and his disciples down in verse number 10 beginning in verse 10 and going through verse number 12 but what we can make one way we can make an application is to understand that we need to see marriage the way that God sees marriage this is something that God has made it is you your spouse and God he says, from the beginning, we mentioned that earlier, from the, the beginning, at the end of verse number 8, it was not God's plan. It was not his desire. I don't know if you can turn back there to Deuteronomy chapter 24 again one more time. But remember we said this centered around Deuteronomy chapter 24. It also centered around something that we sometimes call, that we call the bill of divorcement. Right? That's what's discussed there. In verse, I won't make you turn back, Matthew 19, verse 7, why then does Moses command to give a certificate of divorce or a bill of divorcement? That's, what's being, that's what the idea is here. In Deuteronomy 24, if a man has an issue where, he, where his wife no longer pleases him, he could give her a bill of divorcement. And with that, she could go form another relationship. However, if he ever wanted her back or her second husband died, he could never go back to her. He could never go back and marry her again. And notice the key word in Deuteronomy 24 and verse number 4. Then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been, notice, defiled. Defiled. 
You see, some people look at the bill of divorcement, the certificate of divorce, and they say, this was done to encourage divorce. Moses gave us a reason to be able to divorce, but that's not the case. It was designed to discourage divorce. From the beginning, God did not want it that way. And part of that discussion here is the idea of being defiled, being a discussion here. So when we think about what is said in Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 9, there is an exception here for divorce, and that is for sexual immorality. And when we study that and we think about that, maybe we can take time to do that again in the near future, it is something that we should take very, very seriously. It's something that we have to take because God has made it the position that is countercultural. It's opposite what most people would teach on the matter. And I know this has been a very you know, general lesson, and again, kind of talking general about marriage, uh, but if you have any questions about this, we can, can answer them. But notice real quickly at the very end, verses 11 and 12. Well, in verse 10, his disciples say to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, is it better not to marry? And Jesus gives some strong words in verses 11 through 12. You see, they begin to connect the dots of what he's saying. Of Notice how serious marriage is. Back to our lesson this morning. They're connecting. He is making it a big deal. It is very important. It is very serious. And so they say, well, it sounds to me like it'd just be better a man not marry. And Jesus gives them in three instances, and he uses this term, the idea of those who are eunuchs. Someone who is born that way, someone who has been made that way, possibly by slavery of some sort, some sort of servitude, been made a eunuch by someone who owns them kind of idea there. Or number three, those who would make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Someone who would say, it is better for me to not be married. To not be worried or concerned with this idea of sexual interaction for the sake of being faithful to God. And Jesus concludes with a pretty strong you know, idea there. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. It's challenging. It always has been. Even from the beginning. But God's plan was always for one man and one woman to be joined together and then to leave, to hold fast to one another, and to become one flesh. As we said this morning, that beautiful picture in creation of God saying, I am going to separate male and female, but then bring them back together with my blessing, with his blessing on that. And what God puts together, man should not and man cannot separate. Those are challenging thoughts for us when we think about one becoming two becoming one, as we said this morning in our lesson. It's challenging when we think about marriage. A few folks today complimented and said they appreciate the lesson, and they said somebody needs to tell these young folks those things. Folks who have dealt with these issues, who have gone through the hard times, and I hope that not only can we encourage our young people to take very seriously marriage, because God does, but as we said this morning, that we would all be challenged to think fresh about our marriage and God's design for marriage. And even, can I say, outside of just male and female, right? Because we got that part down, male and female married together, but being married in joy, being married in holiness, being married and glorifying God in our marriage. That should be our goal, and we can learn that from the scriptures that we've looked at even today. I appreciate your attention on all these things and hope that there will be something you can consider in the coming days and certainly throughout your life. 
But as we conclude this lesson right now, we are about to sing a song of encouragement. It may not be marriage or the discussion on marriage today that causes you to think about your life. But while we are together, we extend heaven's invitation and sing a song of encouragement that if you're here today, this afternoon, and you need to become a Christian, you would consider doing that even this hour because it is the greatest decision, with marriage, of course, being a very close second to that. When you think about that, if you have been baptized for the remission of your sins, but you've wandered away, your relationship is not right with God, we sing to encourage you as well. We join together on this day, and we talk about how beautiful it is to be together. We talk about how beautiful it is outside. We talk about the beautifulness of enjoying fellowship together. The beauty of that is that no one has to leave with care and concern and worry and heartache on their mind. You can be made right with God, even now, as we stand together and as we sing.